Everything okay, Bill? Is this thing done yet? Yeah, we're almost finished. <laughs> the show started about five minutes ago. All right. All right are we going to start the show for real now, or is that was that really the show? I don't know. Put it mm. in. All goes in. No, because welcome it, everybody it, to. Uh, <laughs> no, I stepped <laughs> all over your intro. The bit we were doing, it made it sound like as if we didn't know what we were doing, like we didn't have your mic up. So I didn't. I don't think. I don't know if it worked. Sounded like. Yeah. Okay. I'm quiet now. Let's let Richard start. Are we going to do a real show? Let's try. We could. We're going to attempt to do a real show. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Retro Film Dango. It's the podcast where Kevin and I sit down and discuss three films. The three. And today, oh, okay. I thought you were pausing <laughs> for me to jump in. <laughs> I didn't know what that pause was for. I don't know. It's been a long time since we've done an actual intro, attempted an actual intro. And I think this is why, because it's just, it's not us. No. Can't make it work. We, we got to just uh, fumble through and let nature do its thing. So anyway, uh, today we are going to be discussing three Mel Brooks films. We've got uh, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, and Clicky Clicky Spaceballs. And uh, to help us through this, we have asked a Mel Brooks enthusiast to come on and join us. We actually asked two, but uh, one of them forced his way to the front of the line. Welcome, <laughs> Bill from the STC pod. Hey, all. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Bill, it's been a long time since I've had a chance to talk to you. Yeah, it has been a long time. It's good to see you, Richard. You got your hat on backwards, jersey style. It's good to see you. Looking uh, good. All for you. I'm just giving you all the uh, all, all the bait I can. <laughs> I'm hungry though. This is supper time, guys. So can we wrap this up? I have a, a bowl of cereal at three o'clock. That's how I get through these. Oh, That's my geez. secret. I, I wish I could have brought my bowl of granola, but I'm trying to be professional here, show up on time, <laughs> like sleep in and <laughs> not wake up on time. And hey, what time? What time is it for you guys? It is now 20 after 5 when we were supposed to start tw actually 21 minutes Oh, that sounds minutes like ago. a wonderful time in the day where people are normally awake 21. on this a is, Saturday. This is the time. On a Friday. This is on the time Friday for you guys. that you said you wanted to uh, do the show at. And so that's why we, I changed my schedule for you. Uh, well, when I'm willing to sacrifice, okay. yes. Sacrifice my Saturday morning sleep so I can come do this. Um, no, a couple episodes ago, I sh I had to show Richard something on my computer, so I sh I shared my screen with him, and uh, once I shared my screen with him, he saw how he uh, appears to me through Skype, and his hair was all over the place, and uh, since then he's been wearing the, the backwards hat. He's very. If I don't have a chance, if I don't have a chance to comb my hair in the morning, you know, with these early morning records, I put the hat on. For your benefit. He's very self-conscious about that hair. Mm. I don't care. Mm. Like, look, I can't say anything about anyone's hair. I got nothing. <laughs> I There's nothing. But your head looks so well kept. You know, it's... There's nothing out of place. Well, I don't have to do anything other than there's nothing, cut it. Yeah, put your glasses on and you're good. Yeah, that's it. Do you brush your teeth before you come to these? I'm like uh, Bunsen Honeydew. You know, when they came up with that Muppet, all they did was put glasses and a mouth on it. <laughs> that was it. So, yeah, that's good enough. That's a character right there. 
Why can't Richard have his peak out though? It's backwards. Is it homage to Kevin Smith because he has a new movie coming out? It hides my face if I do that. I'll switch it around for you right now. See, there's my uh, messy hair. All right, now uh, my vision is obscured slightly. Now you guys are both wearing ball caps. It feels feels warmer. I feel like I'm doing podcasts with uh, Joe Rogan now. The ball caps down. See your eyeballs under there. Richard uh, Rick, doesn't understand that reference at all. He's like, who the hell is Joe Rogan? There you go. Well, I've why? seen plenty of his podcast. I just uh, don't mention it because I don't want all the uh, comments that were ripping off STC pod. <laughs> oh, right. Richard is flexing right now, so maybe he is doing something. Uh, no, he'd be uh, working on his shelves right now if he was doing something. Organizing no. shelves. All right, let's talk about uh, this freaking Mel Brooks guy. Uh, Bill, why are you such a fan of him? Did you, did you uh, come to this guy at a young age and he left an impression on you or, or what? What's going on? Yes, with you and Mel Brooks? exactly. I will say exactly that happened. I don't know. I was at, I was at a cousin's house, I think. I don't know how old I was, but I was young. And uh, they were just like, oh, we're watching a movie. You got you to gotta see this. This is some weird, crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, I've seen, I had seen comedies before, I'm sure, but... They took me in there, and playing was uh, Mel Brooks' History of the World. And I don't know, if that was the first time I've seen, like, grown-ups on film acting so silly or or what the deal was, first time seeing satirical stuff. I just thought, it just hit me automatically as this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. And that movie still is a has a piece of my heart to this day, even though it doesn't hold up as good as his other movies, but... Man, something about those guys acting so silly on film was just, it was magical for me. I'll always remember that. And uh, every time I go for a Mel Brooks film, I kind of get a little bit of that uh, remembrance from when I was a kid, seeing it for the first time. So, yeah, it was definitely a kid thing. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I went to my, uh, it had to be... 89 or something because Spaceballs was already out on VHS so maybe it was 88 or something but uh, I was staying at my aunt's place and she just put on this movie for for us and I had never heard of it never seen anything from it before and it was this movie Spaceballs and the whole thing just starts up like like Star Wars like a Star Wars flick and that ship uh, Spaceball One comes rolling in, in, in the screen and it just keeps going and going and going. I'm lo- I'm looking at my aunt. I'm like, why did you put this movie on? This is so boring. Like, what is happening? It's crazy. And then you know, we break for nobody was the bumper sticker. Rick Moranis puts up his uh, you know helmet, and of course I I loved Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters, and then John Candy pops up, and yeah, I just I fell in love with that movie, and then. I had to go out and find everything uh, Mel Brooks that I could get my, my hands on. What about you, Richard? What, what was your introduction as a young, young boy in, in New Jersey to Mel Brooks? Well, we had, a, we had a bootleg copy of Spaceballs. I think I mentioned this before. My aunt worked at a video rental store, so she had one of those uh, double VHS machines, and she would just burn copies of movies all the time and bring them home. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely Spaceballs was the first one I watched. Um, and I, I thought it was hilarious because of course it was Star Wars related and there's some Star Trek in there and some aliens. So there are all these references to, 
uh, science fiction things that I was familiar with. But uh, Spaceballs uh, is probably the first movie that got me to pay attention to credits. Because obviously just watching the film, I had no idea who Mel Brooks was or what other things he had done. But when you get to the end credits of Spaceballs, you see starring Mel Brooks, directed by Mel Brooks, produced by Mel Brooks, written by Mel Brooks. And you just see his name pop up like seven times in the credits. And I was like, who is this guy? Why is he listed so many times? And, of course, there was no internet, so I just asked people at the time. And my uncle explained to me how, you know, he was, you know, the guy that made the movies. And, you know, he, he's in them and he does everything he can as part of it. So I don't think I went out and, um, you know, started trying to find his stuff. But when something else of his came up and I was like, oh, that's him. That's that's the the President Scroob from Spaceballs. That's Yogurt. Uh, now I know what other movies he does. And to be fair, I think outside of what we have watched for this episode and Robin Hood Men in Tights, I don't think I've seen any of his other films. So you've never seen uh, High Anxiety? Uh, I, just pulled or... up, I just pulled up the uh, filmography here. Um, the Producers, no. The Twelve Chairs, no. Silent Movie, High Anxiety, History of the World, Life Stinks, Dracula, Dead and Loving It. I haven't seen any of those. I've seen all those except for Twelfth Chair. That's, I haven't seen that one either. That one's like Is a, that another comedy? This, not, this looks more serious. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it is. Or maybe it's not a uh, parody comedy like the others. I don't think it's a comedy at all. I think it's like it's his got only... Dom DeLuise in it. Okay, maybe it is a comedy. I think it's like one of those. Uh, uh, not, it's not a, a goofy comedy like his other movies. I think it might be a straightforward, regular, more comedy. serious comedy. I don't know. Don't know. I don't. Know. I don't know. I, I'm curious. Uh, Bill tends to speak kind of highly of. Uh, was it high anxiety? All right. Well, we don't have yeah. time. We don't have time. I love it. We don't have time. I love high anxiety. So let's move right into uh, Blazing Saddles. Uh, let's get to the trailer of uh, Blazing Saddles. Torn from the fiery pages of the mightiest annals of the West comes the supreme saga in the great tradition of frontier drama. Francis. He wore a shining star His job to offer battle To bad men near and far What's your name? Well, my name is Tim But most people call me Jim Well, do your best Let's see. Where were we? Oh, Rock Ridge. Rock Ridge. I want that land. Clumsy fool. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. There might be legal precedent. Of course. Land snatching. Let's see. 
Land, let land. Sea snatch. Hello, handsome. Is that a ten-gallon hat? So just sign this, sir, right here. Okay, give us a hand here. All right, sir. Work, 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 work. The heroic sheriff rallies his citizens in the wildest finish the West has ever seen or the movies have ever shown. Oh! 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 Have you ever seen such cruelty? And uh, this is where we do the rundown. Okay, Blazing Saddles rundown. In this satirical take on Westerns, crafty railroad worker Bart, played by Cleavon Little, becomes the first black sheriff of Rockridge, a frontier town about to be destroyed in order to make way for a new railroad. Initially, the people of Rockridge harbor a racist bias towards their new leader. However, they warm to him after realizing that Bart and his perpetually... Perpetually. Perpetually, that's what I said. Perpetually drunk gunfighter f- friend, played by Gene Wilder, are the only defense against a wave of thugs sent to rid the town of its population. The director is Mel Brooks, and the runtime of Blazing Saddles is one hour and 35 minutes. Bill, how would you like to give us the first fun fact for Blazing Saddles? Because I know you're following along in the uh, Google Doc. We were given a Google Doc? <laughs> yes, Is I that see, a thing? I see you in there. I see your logo right in there. <laughs> Fun facts! Exclamation mark. Madeline Kahn's role of a saloon singer in Blazing Saddles earned her a Best Supporting Actress Oscar nomination. The film marked the first of several collaborations with Brooks, including Young Frankenstein and High Anxiety, I will add. I wonder if uh, I wonder who won. I never, I never bothered to see who won. Nineteen seventy-four. Oh, I'm geez. guessing not her. Oh, yeah. Well, Richard, why don't you give us the next fun fact while I try to look this up before you finish it? Blazing Saddles was the first movie to incorporate audible flatulence. Having noticed that the cowboys in traditional westerns generally subsided on a diet of canned beans, Brooks argued that. You can only eat so many beans without some noise happening there. The resulting fart scene in which a gang of thugs pass gas around a campfire made movie history. <laughs> I'm waiting to see if you're done. I'm trying well, to stretch that out for you. <clears throat> I looked up uh, 1974, and uh, I shouldn't have. I should have looked up 1975. Because that is the correct... I mean, the movie came out in 74, but it would have been nominated in 75. Mm-hmm. And the winner is... It, oh, that's actress. Supporting role. There she is, Madeline Kahn, Blazing Saddles. And the winner, the winner was Ingrid Bergman for Murder on the Orient Express. Hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty that's, impressive, though, because she has a very small role in this movie. And comedies do not get nominated for anything, generally, yeah. when it comes to uh, Academy that, Awards. Her, her uh, presence in that song, though, was very uh, unique. You know, I had never seen a musical number in that style. 
And then the way she approached it, she did have very good presence. The accent too. That wasn't like, you know, your generic uh, Fraunlein accent. That was like something from somewhere else. It was something mm. else. Mm. Uh, Gene Wilder was far from Brooks' first choice to play the Waco Kid. Multiple actors, including Johnny Carson, turned down the part before screen veteran Gig Young was hired for the role. At first, Young seemed perfect for the boozy character until it became painfully clear that he struggled with alcohol in real life. During the first day of shooting, the actor, who was reportedly going through alcohol withdrawals, became violently ill and had to be rushed to a nearby hospital. Fortunately, Wilder knew most of the kid's lines and was able to take over the part almost immediately. Mm-hmm. All right, Bill, you want to give us the final one? You know, uh, Gene Wilder pitched the idea of young Frankenstein to Brooks on the set of Blazing Saddles. His idea was very simple, Brooks said. What if the grandson of Dr. Frankenstein wanted nothing to do with the family whatsoever? He was ashamed of those wackos. I said, that's funny. Young Frankenstein would become Brooks' next project. They still managed to get them both out in the same year. Yeah, very quickly, too. Blazing Saddles came out in July. And Young Frankenstein came out in December of 74. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That is a fast turnaround. You know what? I lied. There's one more fun fact because I know people love to hear us read fun facts. And here it is that Richard's going to read it for us right now. <laughs> <laughs> in the year 2000, the American Film Institute ranked Blazing Saddles number six on its list of the 100 funniest movies of all time. It was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Which one? Culturally, aesthetically, or aesthetically? (laughs) It's one of them. Uh, And selected for preservation by the National Film Registry six years later. Does that mean it's completely legal for you to have your preservation copy? Me? I got legit copies. What? I'm I'm Mr. Legit Copies for, for Mel Brooks. I'm all legit. Legit up. But uh, wow. I imagine it's, uh, you know, if, if I needed to back those legit copies up, I'm, I'm sure I'd be fine to do that. Okay. To preserve Number those. six, really? Number six on the 100 funniest movies of all time? Funniest, yeah. So I got to take a look at this list. Well, how many, like what's funnier than Blazing Saddles? Well, where is well, young Monty Python? I would put above this. Mm, okay, maybe. I do like yeah. Ghostbusters more than Blazing Saddles, but it's pretty. It's up there. And when did they do this? The year two thousand. So you got to cut out every movie before the year two thousand. <laughs> so that's pretty so th- the young guys or the other guys, whatever the heck that movie's called. Uh, it's not on there. No Will Ferrell movies are on there, except for maybe that. Uh, what was that one where he had the? The bouncing head in the back of the car. <laughs> what the hell movie's that? Oh, get out of here. You're not including what's that the, garbage. What's that movie called? The Night, Night at the Roxbury. The Night at the Roxbury. That might be on the list. Who knows? Wonder, it's That movie's being preserved right now. Hmm. That, I won't defend that Will Ferrell movie, unfortunately. <laughs> I'll defend nearly goddamn all the other ones, but... Uh... There's that or the bewitched movie i'm stepping back on oh yeah that, I, yeah that one was pretty bad too you know what's well, you know not to stay off subject for too long but there's a chance if they redo that list down the line it's going to be changed to a lot of millennial uh 
Oh yeah, opinion for sure. But it's it's okay because Blazing Saddles is already in there. It's already preserved, so it doesn't need to be preserved again. Uh, I, I, they're never. No one's gonna turn around and say, "Oh, this is this is too offensive. We can't have Ooh, this on here." You never know we that got, might got, happen. We gotta here. be nice to people. Well, yeah. Let's let's get into it. Okay, so um, Blazing Saddles is definitely not a. Uh, politically correct uh, film it is very politically incorrect uh, a lot of n-bombs are dropped into it um, a lot of uh, stereotypes uh, sexually and otherwise are uh, in this movie um, but for me they're all done within context and they're all laughing at the uh, racist people and how yeah. ridiculously racist they are and i wonder how did we get away from that? I know part of it is that they're, they they put a racist in the in the White House, so maybe you know we got to take things a little more seriously. But how did we get away from, you know, look at those racist people? They're so ridiculous in the way that they think. Let's laugh at them too. We have to take them all serious now. What happened? I think it was training. I think it was the '90s and and the way '90s uh, preached tolerance to kids. Because it, it basically, it, what you said, um, racist comedy is laughing at the bigots. That's that's what you got through All in the Family and and you know that whole era of comedy on television. It, you had a character who was too old fashioned, and the younger generation was trying to show them where they were misguided. And the great thing is, you got to see both sides of the coin. You know. It wasn't just you're wrong and you are evil. It, it was basically you're not understanding. You got to get with the times. And you saw Archie's opinion uh, to keep using all in the family. And then you got everybody else's opinion. And you had all of the other characters like uh, Lionel Jefferson come in to kind of support uh, the the new opinion. Um but then when you get towards the 90s, I suppose, I remember a lot of television being aimed at children where it was just uh, everyone is great, everyone is good, everyone gets along. And suddenly anyone who had like an old fashioned opinion, they were deemed more like bad, not not that they weren't understanding. They were just bad. So it just kind of became more where you can't everything. If you do anything that is uh, deemed racist, you're just bad. So it wasn't about showing them the way; it was just bad. Yeah, because the film portrays anyone who is racist as either ignorant or mm-hmm. uh, not bright enough to be anything but racist. Um, it it's it's more of that, I suppose, where it's. It's not so much racism as ignorance. Yeah. Like the town that's, is that's ignorant, the comedy, right? Yeah. The, ta- the town is ignorant because they, I don't think they've ever had any interaction with any black person before. And then this mm-hmm. person is forced upon them to be their sheriff. So, and they, you know, through when they get to know him, you know, they kind of somewhat turn uh, turn around. Um, you know, the, the, the lady uh, gives him a, a pie. It just says like, but make sure not to tell anybody that yeah. I gave you this, this pie. So it's there's there's some charm in 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 that uh, turnaround. But um, uh, you know, like I, I also the uh, the uh, governor character played by Mel Brooks. You know, he's uh, 
like when he when he grabs uh, Harvey Corman over and he's like, you can't be considering this guy for a sheriff. Don't you know this man's a nih? And he realizes that he's actually talking to uh, Levon, uh, Little, Cleavon Little. Uh, and then, you know, he, re- he puts him back, grabs Harvey Keitel and or Harvey Keitel, Harvey, Harvey Corman <laughs> and uh, says the exact same line, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it just it. But like he's not bright enough to be anything but, you know, racist yeah well in this everybody it's just a a town full of dummies and basically you've got um uh bart and uh the waco kid they're they're your two rocks in in the movie like the normal thinking people and that's it you just uh he set up a whole um world of idiots and then he had uh two reasonably minded people that you could ground that you could ground onto and you just see them and their perception of the world around them. And it just makes you realize, Oh, uh, this is pretty stupid. Why, why would we possibly think like these people? Well, let's follow these people instead. I think Harvey Corman and the governor are, are actually smart characters too. And uh, they are not racist, even though Harvey Corman's evil. He's going to use whoever he wants. He doesn't. He doesn't discriminate. And I think the governor is portrayed as a smart person too, and not a racist because he was only concerned about um, sending that person in as a sheriff because they'll they'll kill him within a day, and how bad it would look on him. Uh, and yeah, I think the governor was actually the governor is smart. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he's portrayed completely as a dummy. I'll give you Harvey... I'll I'll give you... I don't want to say Harvey Keitel again. I'll give you that... uh, I'll just call him Corman. Is um, conniving. um, But the the governor is just... He's out to lunch. He's not wearing any pants. You know? (laughs) He's just... (laughs) Sign this. uh, And he he just signs whatever. He's got his eyes crossed the entire time. Yeah, yeah, no... He's just playing the system. He's he's a good guy. He's smart. Uh, okay. I, <laughs> well, this is he's gonna go for a presidency. He's playing the game, but I I submit he was not racist. He was he called he wanted he was about to call the guy uh, the N word. He was about to drop out an N bomb. True. Yeah. yeah. That's well. He didn't though. And they just all knew. understood what they were doing by putting this person like in jeopardy like he didn't care like harvey uh corman didn't care right like whether this uh the uh whether bart lived or died putting him in yeah, this situation they would have put anyone in that situation so you were just saying it was just the first no yeah. he no because he needed somebody that was whoever, going to right he was needed somebody yeah, who was yeah uh i, I don't he could know. have used a mexican or a, anyone the easiest would have been a black person so he's just using uh chess pieces. Okay. Well, I I don't I'll give you him, but I won't give you the, the Headley. I'll give you Headley. There we go. But Headley. I won't give you um uh the governor. Uh, that's that character was out to lunch. Um I <laughs> I remember laughing too. The first time I saw I laugh every single time I see it's when they when they when they're in the quicksand. What ain't exactly water and what ain't exactly earth? Is that what, something like that? Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, when they go to when they go to rescue them, like they pull, it, they do this whole big setup, like they 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 grab the ropes and everything, you know, and the the two black guys are sitting there in in the quicksand, 
and they throw the rope out and it looks like they're throwing a rope out to these two guys and instead they start pulling the uh the uh, push uh, cart out that got stuck the in there cart, with them. Yeah. hand cart that's it that got stuck in there with it i like that part that's funny i saw that coming um when did you see this movie they, though well, like was this this wasn't the first time you watched this is this, the right? first time i saw it oh okay okay i mean i'm talking about when i was a kid all right okay yeah. i'm just saying there's a line that i can't um i can't say that they mentioned beforehand that sets up the joke of them going out there um so i knew they were only gonna try to save the cart right yeah there's a lot of this movie that i can't um quote uh it, it really allowed itself some liberties with the language it used um it it's I don't want to say it was difficult to watch, but honestly, I didn't find it as funny as a lot of other people say it is. It The film has its moments. There there are some great moments, but it's some of the stuff later on that, uh, I don't know, it, it didn't come across as a perfect comedy to me, but it definitely has a lot of memorable uh, scenes and lines and things. There's, as uh you too may be aware of with your your Howard Stern fanness uh, bubbling over all the time. There was another radio program on uh, a few years back called the Opie and Anthony Show, uh, which I was a, a big fan of. Uh, and they <laughs> there had a, uh, oh, that makes sense made... now. Now the comedy <laughs> thing all makes sense. It falls everything. All the pieces just fell right into place. Okay. Oh, if you like entertaining radio, that's. Oof. So anyway, the point is they uh, made use of a soundboard and there were a lot of uh, audio clips that I remember, but I never knew where they were from. And a lot of them ended up coming from Blazing Saddles. Gotcha. Kevin, when did you, you said you were a kid when you saw this, like preteen or? Yeah, like a lot of the jokes um, went over my head. Um, I really didn't understand a lot of the context. Uh, I I was so like eighty nine. It, it had to be like because I I went on a, a rampage there after I saw Spaceballs, and I, every time I'd go to the rental store, I'd try to find a Mel Brooks film, and that had to have been there. Um, so I probably would have I probably would have been twelve, twelve or thirteen. So you know, old enough to you know see enough after school specials to know the difference between right and wrong. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the stuff was going, went over my head, but you know, there was enough there to, to make me laugh. I think it was mm. funny. I think I was a little bit older, but, uh, at the, at the perfect age to enjoy the, uh, like the fart scene. Yes. A, a young oh. teenage boy mm-hmm. and the fart scene was like a heart attack city. Cause you're laughing so hard. Oh, I still See? enjoy it. <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was seeing, you know, from the first time Lyle lifts up his leg, you know, and lets one go. And then uh, it just, as a kid watching it for the first time, seemed like it went on for hours. It just went on forever. So good. Uh, Have you seen the the TV version of that scene? I've heard that they edit it out or something. They mute it or something. Yeah, like they, they mute all the flatulence. Yeah, they just kind of stand up. And... <laughs> so it's just guys standing up for two minutes? Yeah, they allow the burps. No flatulence. And then and a are lot there of burps cow in there? Boys. There oh, is yeah, a there's... burp at the beginning, at least. There's one. <laughs> it's crazy. I believe the TV version, I think they still left in, like, language. 
you know, really, like, really, yeah, I think so. Like in the in the eighties or whatever. But uh, the oh, flatulence, yeah. that's got to go. Yeah, the N word for sure would have been flying all over the place in the eighties. They would they would have taken out the the shits and and the fucks. Um, but yeah, that would that wasn't really considered a cuss word back then. It was just a a a, a word that you didn't say. You know, I don't think it fell under like the uh, Carlin's seven uh, words you don't say. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. that one's in there. So it was like a rude word, right? I mean, I remember mm-hmm. that word. I remember it. I was watching uh, an episode of uh, Give Me a Break. <laughs> and that word was flying all over the place. Well, not all over the place, but there was a an episode <laughs> that was centered around uh, that word. And it, that word flew all over the place in that episode. But it was all done within context, of course. Um, yeah. So I think Richard, like this is going to be like any uh, like all these other movies. Like you've seen it the first time, it's probably been built up a little bit for you, and uh, on your additional watchings of it, you'll probably end up liking it. Uh, yeah, more. yeah. There, there's a lot in there to enjoy. Um, it it was difficult because I had to make sure that my kids weren't around when I was watching this because I knew it was going to be uh, a bit inappropriate. You didn't watch uh, it on the phone on the train. Audio, uh, audio no, cranked. I had to, I had to go rent a Blu-ray for this. <laughs> oh. The only copy I could find was a Blu-ray. Oh, okay. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed it enough that I, I can say it was a good movie, and I'd recommend people watch it. But uh, yeah, I was expecting, you know, the sixth highest ranked comedy movie of all time, mm. and I got what I thought was a funny movie, but mm. with some parts that I would you know, skip over. I think it got voxed. (laughs) Well, I think towards, I really, it's the ending of the movie that I just felt like, uh, this is getting a little out of control. Just the, yes, that is the point. It goes out of control. Yeah. To a point. Uh, but I I think it, it cheats in a way. That's the point. it steps outside of its own rules. Yes! A little bit. A little bit is fine. But it went on for a bit too long. And then, I don't know. You can really sit down and just think that's funny after a while. I, just Oh, my God. I'm, I'm, seeing, that, seeing that for the first time where it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and more outrageous and more absurd. And it just continues and continues. Yeah, I didn't know what I was seeing. It was... It, yes, it was breaking its own rules, and I thought that was that was like magical in what was happening. I can't imagine people in the theater seeing that for the first time, going to a what degree. Is I, going I liked on? it. I, I thought it was much. Uh, it was done much better in. Um, uh, God, what's the name of that movie? Life of Brian with the alien scene. That that came out of nowhere, broke the rules, and 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 then it was over. And then you get back to the movie and you continue on with the movie's established rules. When it happens at the ending, that that's kind of a cheat. When it's like, you know, we build up, we're going to do it this way. And then suddenly we get all this happening. And then the movie's over, like as soon as they cut back to a regular movie. So to fill people in, at the end of the movie, <laughs> the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mel Brooks uh, explodes the fourth wall. Uh, there's a lot of bending of a little bit of, you know, looks into the camera and that that build up towards it, Richard. Um, but then, yeah, at the end, he just kind of blows it up. Uh, they just there's it. 
everybody's fighting each other on uh, in this little town, and the camera just pans out, and it reveals that they're on set somewhere on the Warner Brothers set, and then uh, the fight spills over into other sets in the film uh, to eventually uh, Headley, the uh, lead uh, villain in the film, uh, takes off uh, <laughs> in a taxi cab and uh, parks himself in a theater that's uh, running Blazing Saddles, where he sees... <laughs> Uh, Bart, who's chasing him, uh, pull up to the movie theater. <laughs> and so then they have their, their confrontation uh, in front of the movie theater that's airing uh, or running Blazing Saddles. Hmm. And Richard does not think that's funny. <laughs> I that's, know, it's all right. <laughs> it's it's funny. Maybe if I had seen it way back when, like you. I think but so. I think... I've seen other movies yes. do that since. Yes. So it's. For me, it's an old gag. Yeah. Now, if you're telling me this is where it started, I, I can appreciate that. But I saw it when I saw it. So I, I think it, that's it. where it started on this level, where it was taken, you know, because, you know, Abbott and Costello, all those, like, they would break the fourth wall all the time with, like, a little look at the camera or a line or whatever. Um, but this was, like, you know, to actually reveal that you are a movie kind of thing. Um it it had like I think um, I think Mel Brooks has done it better since like I think that some of the stuff in Spaceballs with the whole videotape uh, scene I think that kind of like you know that that was more yeah I have nothing that was clever. I have nothing against the breaking the fourth wall the issue is that when it happened when you're trying to wrap up the movie it it feels like it's and I, actually a that's kind of how um, uh, you brought up Life of Brian but that's really how. Uh, uh, the other holy one grail. holy grail that's how the holy grail ends and yeah, you didn't like and the I, end of that I, either. I didn't enjoy that yeah. ending either i thought right. it felt flat all right well if maybe if opie and anthony were putting in some sound effects for you <laughs> i would have gotten a chuckle out of you <laughs> need more Augas. <laughs> oh ah, man but gene wilder how great was gene wilder fantastic i mean like, throw it into this role uh, throw it into this role it's supposed to be an old man He's supposed to be playing an old man, and he's in his twenties. He wasn't that old. He was he was as old as uh, as Bart uh, Cleavon Little. Well, I guess the character initially was supposed to be an old man, but I don't think anyone's buying that he's any older than he looks. But they That's didn't just the character, right? But yeah. they didn't change any of the the lines. You know, like he, he's always insinuating that you know stuff had happened a long time ago. His yeah. you know. It, everything's in the past. Like they didn't change any of that stuff, you know. So it would have. Well, made... He still he still looks old enough to have some experience. Not, you know. Yeah, maybe like lifetime. two years ago. There, he's talking like as if it happened twenty years oh, ago. Well, no, nah, well, he's he's not a, a young kid. I mean, uh, back in the old west, you could argue people were starting this when they were like eighteen years old. They might already have a name behind themselves. Everyone in, in town is it. like ten years older than him. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it was a role yeah, meant for he goes an old from guy. From town to town, he's the wandering gunman. He's yeah, he sold it for me, like for sure. And his line delivery is so perfect. I, I'm a big Gene Wilder fan. I love him. Like he had a couple years of this stuff happening to him and drinking and that, and he was like shaking, like he was totally out of, like unable to to hold a gun anymore or anything. Like I, I don't know. It, yeah, so you're saying you did, don't like it? No, I like it. I I think it was it was amazing that he pulled it off, to the point that Richard doesn't even recognize what what's what's going on. That's 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 genius. 
It's great. And how come we never heard from uh, Cleavon Little again? I thought he was great in the movie too. I thought he his delivery was a little. Mm, yeah. I thought he was perfect. Nice. He was great. If we if we couldn't get Richard Pryor, right. I think this guy was perfect. Which was bizarre because Richard Pryor was a, a writer on the film. I don't know why he wasn't in it. He was a liability to the studio at that time. Is that what it was? Yeah, he had a reputation already, even though he hadn't, you know, been successful on screen yet. Huh. So they didn't want to insure him. Uh. And so they uh, cast an unknown. And uh, I thought his line delivery was great. He was so cool and slick. I got some heavy chores to do. <laughs> where, all, where are all the white women at? That's the line that gets me. <laughs> And there was a line they took out when uh, him and Lily von Stupp are in the dark. Oh. And uh, she says, uh, she's, you know, is it true what they say about you people? Right. And then she starts, you know, making moaning noises and whatever. And, and he says, well, I hate to disappoint you, ma'am, but you're sucking on my arm. <laughs> that would I just true. read about that, but I, I can't see why that would be deemed offensive compared to all the other stuff that's in the movie. Because it was 1974. <laughs> like, I, there's a lot of other stuff in this movie. Probably just the word sucking. Yeah. Like, that's just too provocative. I, that's what I mean. Like, the mindset, the sensibility of people in the, in the 70s was to laugh at racism because it, it it's just absurd. It's an, it's an absurdity. And to laugh at that rate and at that rate. And that's what this movie does is it laughs at that absurdity, at that way of thinking. And but it uh, seems like now, it's completely flip flop. Cause that sounds like a joke that would totally fly in that, um, other guys kind of a movie. Right. Yeah. Like it would be fine, but they couldn't do any yeah. of the other. Right. More racial, uh, the, uh, racially driven humor. Yeah. By the way, in, in the other guys, I, I did like Michael Keaton. I thought he was pretty good every time he came on screen. No, he had terrible material to work with. Oh, my God. <clears throat> For, with what he had to work with, I thought he was okay. All right, forget that. Don't, don't get me going. Let's go. With all right. you guys. <laughs> uh, Blazing Saddles, we all recommend it. Uh, Richard will like it after he watches it about five more times. He'll like it even more. I, I said I liked it already. I don't like it as much as everyone says it's. You, know, you it's will great, like but... it as much as everyone says yeah. it is. Come on. About, in about five more viewings. Okay, one more thing though. How yep. the, when they explode the town and you see the horses go flying up in the Yes. <laughs> the horses and the dummies, yeah. Uh, well, and the, there's some incredible stunts in the movie too. Like uh they had to train that horse. Uh, so Mongo's like this big character in the movie that they uh bring onto their side and at one point Mongo uh punches a horse. And that was like a stunt that they had to train the horse to do. To mm. act like he it was taking a punch. Yeah. Okay. That, well, that was <laughs> that was back in well in the seventies. They still made a lot of like real westerns, so they had a lot of stunt horses trained for all that stuff. I don't think they, trained they to take them, a like, punch, like uh, but falling down, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Falling horses down. Taking a fall. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They never let that go nowadays. Yeah. You wouldn't be allowed to do that stunt. Even insinuate that you go up to a, a horse and punch it. That would be, that'd be, yeah. Bad. Or riding, riding that steer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's another thing too. I don't know how, like they must've had to, like, either it was, um, 
castrated or uh, sedated or something like that in order to get that like a, a guy of that stature to ride one of those yeah. things. Yeah, and that steer had like full horns too. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And also props to the music I want to throw out there too. Great theme song. Yes. With the whips. Yep. And uh, Lily Von Stupp's song. It's yep. all, all the music's there. More That's Mel- one thing that stood out um, in this viewing is that every Mel Brooks movie I've seen has uh, like a musical number or, or at least a standout song. Uh, I never noticed that before, but it's all there. And in fact, didn't you put something in here? It was oh, from the next movie. Yeah, from, from the, the next, next movie. movie. Okay. It's, it was what Google put in there. I just thought that was interesting to put there. Mm. All right. Well, how about we move on to our next film from the same year, 1974, Young Frankenstein. Oh, my friend, my friend. You don't know what your visit means to me. How long I've waited for the pleasure of another human being. Sometimes in our worldly lives. 20th Century Fox presents Young Frankenstein. The basis of a new film by America's master of comedy, Mel Brooks. This guy means business. Young Frankenstein. Starring Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. Hello there. I'm going to set you free. What's the matter? Peter Boyle as the monster. Marty Feldman as Igor. Cloris Leachman as Frau Blucher. Yes! And you and Victor were... Say it. He was my boyfriend! Terry Gar as Inga. Kenneth Mars as the inspector. And Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. Calm down. What are you going to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. Listen, I I have to be back by 11.30. I'm expecting a very important call. Kill the monster! Storm that castle! It's Frankenstein, Mel Brooks' comic masterpiece, made in black and white. No offense. Respected medical lecturer, Dr. Frederick Frankenstein, played by Gene Wilder, learns that he has inherited his infamous grandfather's estate in Transylvania. Arriving at the castle, Dr. Frankenstein soon soon begins to recreate his grandfather's experiments with the help of servants Igor, played by Marty Fieldman, Inga, played by Terry Gar, and the fearsome Frau Blucher. Nobody's going to do the, the I horse should, I should have got a, a horse sound oh, effect. On. I didn't think to do that. Played by uh, Cloris Leachman. After he creates his own monster, played by Peter Boyle, new complications ensue with the arrival of the doctor's fiancée, Elizabeth, played by Madeline Kahn. Directed by Mel Brooks, one hour, 46 minutes. Featured song, Putting on the Ritz. All right, who's going to lead off with the fun facts? Bill, give us our first fun fact. Fun facts, exclamation mark. Young Frankenstein was originally to be a Columbia Studios film. The studio's brass was adamant that a black and white film would be unmarketable in the 70s. 
Brooks felt strongly about replicating the feel of Universal's classic Frankenstein films by going colorless. The disagreement eventually led to 20th Century Fox taking charge of the project. Do you think this movie would have been as effective if it was in color? Yeah, I, I do. I think it'd be fine. Yeah. No. No, not at all. They perfectly got that tone of the old black and white serial with the fades and, and the, the way the, the sound cut out as well. There were times I thought I was watching a Three Stooges short. Yeah, I, uh, I, I got to go with uh, Richard on this to, to make it black and white. I don't, I don't know if it's essential, but it definitely... Uh, it adds to the, the, the feel and the tone of the film. It, out of all... It helps, the, it helps the hammy acting. Well, out of all the Mel Brooks movies, I think this is the, the one that feels a little more like a Zucker's Brother movie where they're all taking the material very seriously. There isn't a lot of... Um, well, I think we're well, actually, I think it's one of our fun facts, but there isn't a lot of fourth wall breaking, looking at the camera and all that. And it's, it's, everybody's kind of taking what they're doing seriously, which kind of makes it more funny. And having that black and white kind of, I think helps that. Yeah, it definitely helps it. I'm not going to argue that. I'm just saying it's not essential. I'm saying I still would enjoy this film, color yeah. or black and white. It's not a, it's not going to kill it. Yeah, no, it doesn't make or break the film, but it definitely adds yeah. to it. For sure. All right. uh, Gene Wilder convinced Brooks to forego his usual cameo appearance. Like Alfred Hitchcock, Brooks, Brooks usually gave himself a part in his own films. These char- characters regularly broke the fourth wall and winked at the audience, something Wilder felt would clash with young Frankenstein's tone. So as a condition of his taking on the lead role, Wilder made Brooks agree to remain off camera. I think that was a good decision. Yes. I like Mel Brooks's cameos. Uh, I think he's uh, generally a funny actor. Uh, but as I was watching it, it I, before I read this fun fact, I, I was thinking to myself, yeah, I don't think he shows up in this movie. He's not, you know, some guy uh, that's going to come in and, and tell a bunch of Jewish jokes uh, in this film. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, he doesn't do it. And it definitely makes the film flow better because it, it would have... I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed this. I'll, I'll get my opinion out now. I enjoy this more than his other movies. This this is the best Mel Brooks film that I've seen so far. This was your first time just, watching it, too? No, I've seen this a okay. number of times. It's probably been about 10 years since I've seen it. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I don't... like I, I, of course, copy and paste all this stuff off the internet. They said cameo. Uh, Mel Brooks's roles in his other movies, I think, are a little more than cameos. It he, he plays supporting, at least one character. Yeah, yeah, they're like supporting characters. A little, like a cameo is like, hey, look at that guy in the background, or he has a line or two or something like that. Mm-hmm. These were supporting characters. So he had no character in this film. Uh, Gene Hackman specifically asked Wilder for a part in Young Frankenstein because he wanted to try comedy. Hackman, who'd been thrice nominated for an Academy Award and won one in 1971, learned about young Frankenstein through his frequent, ten- his frequent tennis partner, Wilder, and requested a role. Ultimately, Harold, the lonely blind character he briefly portrayed, sparked one of the most memorable sequences in comedic history. I, I agree. It's, yeah, it's I one love, of the best scenes in the movie. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This um, I, I mentioned before, I had to be careful not to watch Blazing Saddles with my kids, and I knew Spaceballs has a you know a fair amount of uh, language and stuff in it as well. 
but uh, I started watching Young Frankenstein uh, on my own, and I, I, I remember it after a certain point. I was like, I don't think there's too much coming up, and I don't think there's really anything I have to be worried about. But and I knew my kids would really love the uh, putting on the Ritz and the and the Harold scene, so I made sure to watch that with them, and that I appreciated also. You know, I think a lot of other Mel Brooks movies are you got to be careful how what age you show them to kids. So this mm. one felt pretty safe. And my parents didn't care. They just let me watch whatever. Yeah, I, and look, I, I, I turned out to be watched, fine. I watched this stuff when I was younger. Kids but, are uh, fine, man. All that stuff, know, it goes over their a, head. They don't even know it's happening. When I was a, a kid, I was like... parents, I have to worry. Uh, when I was a kid watching this movie, it was like Terry Gar was like the, the, the pretty girl, you know. And that was it. Like, there was nothing, like, else sexual about that movie. Now you're watching it, and, like, everyone's having, well, like, boning each other off screen. In my head, I get all the jokes. And I'm like, all right, uh, are my kids going to gloss over this part? Yeah, they gloss gonna, over right, it. Stop. Kids I, don't care. They're all fine. Yeah, I know. And I did, uh, I did sit my eight-year-old down with me to watch Spaceballs. And uh, she was loving it. And there's, but there's a lot of shits. And a lot there of is. assholes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, keep <laughs> In fire, fact, there's assholes, assholes fire everywhere. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. But I'm just like, just don't talk that way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Peter Boyle had to wear a special pad over his crotch to avoid getting scalded during the famous blind man scene. In it, sightless Harold winds up accidentally dumping a bowl full of hot soup into Frank into the Frankenstein's monster's lap. Fortunately, Boyle's protective gear. Fortunately, Boyle's protective gear kept him from having to method act his way through the ordeal so i after reading that i watched the scene closely because i never even like noticed that it was like hot soup i just thought it was like you know an effect kind of thing but uh yeah there's steam coming out of that yeah they make a point to to slowly go across that pan as it you know the fire's crackling underneath it yeah that thing's legit that's legit hot Mm. so boil didn't get boiled hey oh Hey, there you go. That's an Opie and Anthony joke right there. All right. No, that's a that's a. Uh, what's our show called? Fandango. Fandango. <laughs> that's a Fandango joke. Uh, Bill, would you like to give us the next fun fact? Yeah, you took my fun. My fun fact was the last one. You took it on me. Do you want? I'll the, continue. The, I'll forge on ahead. All right, all right. The putting on the Ritz number was nearly axed. Brooks reportedly felt that having Dr. Frankenstein and his monster tap dance to an old Irving Berlin song seemed too crazy. Hearing this, Wilder, who thought it was brilliant, snapped and came close to rage and tears before Brooks unexpectedly changed his tune. I wanted to see how hard you'd fight for it, said the director, and I knew if you fought hard enough, it was right. You did, so it's in. And that is a brilliant scene. I I love that scene. It uh, mm. cracks me up every time. That's, That's the other thing about uh, these Mel Brooks movies. Uh, the music sticks with you. So I will be singing that to myself for easily the next week or so. And when you get to the putting on the Ritz part, are you going to sing it of right? Of course or are you, gonna... you deliver it. Oh, <laughs> I sing it right uh, the way that Peter Boyle sang it. That's, That's the, the right only way, way this <laughs> song goes. I've, I've but... even heard them play that on the radio. That's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Brooks's Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein were the first and third third highest grossing films of 1974, respectively. That's impressive. Yes. To make uh, two movies in one year and have them both be, you know, blockbusters like that. 
Um, so yeah, I'll. This is like my favorite uh, Mel Brooks uh, film, next to Spaceballs, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think this one is is just uh, brilliant, and even uh, it it holds up better over time than Blazing Saddles uh, does. The the I think it's the kind of movie that you could put on um, anytime. It like the like the jokes don't age. You know, I think that Blazing Saddles and its racism and all that uh, cap like that was like it captures that period of time. Um, whereas Young Frankenstein is probably a movie that you could play a hundred years from now and it'll still be relevant. It'll still be funny. Mm. Cause there isn't, well, much... it, it usually helps when you go far into the past because our generation has, we're so disconnected from that period of time. Right. That, that it's easier to just accept it as something that was, you know, obviously it's all fake, but um, when, when you go into recent history, I was watching a movie the other day and, and, and they reference, you know, they reference numbers and dates in movies and it's like, Oh, in 1993, and I was like, uh, oh, it's, it just feels old, but uh, <laughs> right. something like that. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, like this movie came out in 74. So Mel Brooks was parroting a movie that he probably watched when he was a kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'll be honest, I've never seen the original Frankenstein. Have you guys seen I haven't seen, seen any of those original, like, universal monster movies. Yeah, monster movies. Uh, I think I had The Mummy, but I, I never got around to watching it. Yeah. What about you, Bill? Have you ever seen Oh, the, yeah. You've seen the yeah. originals? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you saw course. them in the theater? Of course. In the theater, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah. It, uh, like the black and white, that helps this movie, uh, you know, stay young. Because uh, it doesn't age it, because it's already aged, right. and uh, all that original laboratory equipment is all from the original film, so it's it's it just fits in there perfectly. Helps the film uh, maintain its youth in a way. Yeah, for, he went uh, repeated viewings. He went out of his way to get uh, original props from the thirty-one film, and uh, replicate the sets too from that uh, from that film. Uh, like the like the laboratory and all that is is a replica of the the original, which is something mm-hmm. like it wasn't necessary to do, right? Um, because right. you don't need to watch that movie in order to get all the jokes uh, in Young right. Frankenstein. So, I wonder if that caused a little bit of aggravation to fans of the original to to have you know it reproduced so meticulously. Uh, but then have, you know, just a silly comedy be done on what some people would consider this like, oh, sacred film history. But opposite to other Mel Brooks films, this film, it takes a serious job at being silly. Like it takes it seriously. Right. I find it's, yeah. I, I can't see anyone being upset with using the source material because they, you know, hold it very cautiously and use it perfectly well it, it and the yeah the the one thing there is that it's a successful comedy if it had been a terrible movie then uh maybe people would be more up in arms but uh it it's it succeeds in what it attempts to do yeah this feels um more at a lot of times in the movie it feels more gene wilder than mel brooks um yeah gene wilder to me like it feels like any everything in the lab and uh the putting on the ritz uh scene that that seems like gene wilder and then the mel brooks stuff is like um 
you know all the all the jokes about like the you know what knockers and stuff like that all the stuff outside of of the lab like that that stuff seems to be all mel brooks uh to me um there's also some other characters in this movie that are just free like kenneth mars as that uh I, I don't know what the heck his name was i can never remember it but the guy with the the wooden arm the inspector it's the inspector yeah. like that what what a friggin' prop for that guy to use like he he can't move mm-hmm. this arm on his own so he has to use his other hand to 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 move the arm and it's like you know the first scene you see him and he's lighting a it's either a cigar or a cigarette i can't remember which but he uses like this dead hand like he could use his other hand that works just fine to light this right. thing but it's no he's using of this. motions or he has to keep hitting his arm with the other arm right it's like it and it's like position. a yeah it's not like move it slowly into position it's like smack it up smack it down to the yeah. right to the left but the way yeah. he does it it's obvious you could tell the actor took time to practice it and rehearse it and get it to be as natural as it could possibly be if that were the way you had to move your arm. The very first scene you see him in, he, he there, there's a crowd of people that are all talking about what they're going to do about this monster. And, and they're like, what's the inspector say? So he, sta- he stands up. And the first thing he does, you see him, you see his face, and he's wearing an eye patch. And the first thing he does is he grabs a, a monocle oh, meticulously monocle. <laughs> out of his pocket, you know, and gets ready to put it in his eye. And he puts it right over the, the eye patch. That is a gag I didn't realize until this viewing. (laughs) And it's there the whole whole film. It is there. It does not go anywhere else but in front of that eye patch. That's good times. This, again, yeah, I think removing Mel Brooks's presence from, like, on screen, uh, it helped the movie. Uh, Again, he's he's a funny guy, but um, the characters were so talented um marty feldman yes. is that his name yeah uh, igor yeah uh he he um he i believe was somewhat part of the pythons he was at, like at a some point. he was like a, a mentor to them he was part of like while they were um you know in the clubs and that learning crafting their their humor he was like a, a step above them he was like in the the uh Peter O'Toole and um, uh, Dustin Hoffman, not Dustin Hoffman, who that? Peter Sellers? No, not Peter Sellers. Well, Peter Sellers was even before them. I'm thinking of um, friggin' Arthur. What the heck's his name? Oh, Arthur. Dudley Moore? Dudley Moore, and who's the other guy that was with him? What was that comedy team? Anyways, Marty Feldman hung yeah. out with those guys, with that that group, and so they, he was a guy that they looked up to, and then they would... Uh, like when they went off and did their own projects, Monty Python guys, they would bring in Marty Feldman to help them out with their movies and that. And I think Marty Feldman did write a few scripts that did end up, or a few um, skits that ended up in the Flying Circus. Because, mm. so, yeah, like all the actors can hold their own yeah. in this movie. Like everybody dominates their scene because they're they're allowed to just do their thing and and again, not to keep going on the same subject, but if Mel Brooks were there, then it would have to turn into the, the Mel Brooks cameo segment, you know, mm. and his character just becomes prominent and it, it maintains its tone throughout. Cloris Leachman, she was great as well yep. uh, as, as Fran. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, there's not enough Cloris Leachman. She disappears through much of the film. Yeah. And, and mm. she's missed, man, because her opening scene is so great. Well, and even her, her, when she comes back, a lot of it is just like she's staring off into the distance kind of thing, like watching what's happening. 
Um, and then, uh, I mean, I, I, th- I think that Peter Boyle was just born to play this role as, as like, where else would you get like a big guy that like that, that kind of looks like Frankenstein. That's also a comedic actor. I mean, that's just one thing that just kind of fell right into place that this guy was around and available for this movie. Yeah, well, he's really not all that big. He was on stilts. Oh, was he? For... Yeah, you can tell during the putting on the Ritz number uh, of if you watch where his knees bend. Okay. You can tell he had, you know, some kind of lifts where he was maybe a, a, at least a foot off the ground. I thought it was just the shoes. Those are like platform yeah. shoes. Yeah, they were big platform shoes, but you can watch just watch that part again and you can see where his knee bends and where his foot would probably have to be. I imagine it was one of those like lifts where I don't like almost as if he was wearing high heels. Okay. So that his foot wouldn't uh, stick out through the pant leg. Okay. But still I'm a big guy though. He's, he's still a big guy. <laughs> um, and what did you think of the, his makeup though? Cause I always thought like this was the first time that I watched it on, uh, on Blu-ray and HD so I could see a little more detail. I think the last time I watched this was yeah. blurry VHS. And it's the I first always... time I noticed the zipper. <laughs> yes. And, and then across his head, I always thought... The skull cap. I, yeah, I thought that was like uh, just a really bad uh, skull cap or something like that. But I guess that's actually where he, uh, like where Dr. Frankenstein opened his head and put the, the brain in. Yeah. No, that was the skull cap. I, I he, took it as a scar. Had... He had the stitches along the sides, right? But that was just that was just the line from the skull but he's, cap. He's bald like that. Peter Boyle has like a. But he had the the Frankenstein hair. He had Frank's, but that's just that. Like you watch him on Everyone I'm, Loves I'm, Raymond. I'm pretty that's... sure that was a skull cap line. Mm. I'm pretty sure <laughs> it doesn't so. look like a scar. I it, think he was bald. He, he was bald back the bold, then. Like the staples in the side. <laughs> he was bald back then. <laughs> Yeah, he's he bald, but that. he's still wearing a bald cap to support the the Frankenstein hair. Mm. And you could see like the you know the rectangular shape around the zipper on his neck. So it everything stands out clearly. Yeah. but it it works for the film. It's it's a silly, abnormal film. Abby normal. My my history with this movie, like Richard said, in the, for the last movie, had a copy of it. Or someone was making copies of movies for him. I got this. I rented it, and I made my own copy of this movie. And you remember that uh, MacroVision copyright protection? Yes. That would kick in. So what that would do, it would like it's like you're watching the movie, and it closes the iris, and then opens it back right. up, and then closes it, and opens it back up. That's how I watched this movie for years. Wow. <laughs> Dedication. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, seeing uh, seeing higher quality uh, prints of the movie is is very enlightening nowadays. But man, yeah, as a kid, that's all. I, as a kid, well, even older, that just replayed that VHS over and over again with the darkness. And then this scene would be so good because it's so bright, and then it would go back, <laughs> come back. Yeah. Macrovision. Yep. Oh, boy. Okay. Anything else to say about Young Frank saying before we move on? Uh, I love the scene. My favorite scene is uh, when Madeline Kahn appears at the castle and uh, Cloris Leachman is there. Marty Feldman is there. Gene Wilder, of course. And uh, it's just 
an awesome scene. I think it's the only time, if you watch closely, you get to see Gene Wilder break on camera. It happens oh, yeah. for an instant, for yeah. an instant, and he catches himself. And uh, he turns to Marty Feldman and says, uh, brings the ladies in. He's like, uh, can Igor, can you help me with the bags? And Marty Feldman goes, you take the blonde and I'll take the one in the toy bin. And then he starts biting at Madeline Kahn's uh, stole because <laughs> it's a dog or, or a fox. And he just goes at it. And uh, you can see uh, Gene break for just a second. And uh, uh, I got to rewatch that. Yeah, I, I was so I was so uh, into uh, Feldman in that scene. So according to the, uh, the commentary, it took them a long time to get through that scene without <laughs> without breaking. And I think that was the best they could get. <laughs> but yeah, you do see him break just for just for a split second. Uh, well, and you mentioned Madeline Kahn. She, I, I thought that she was funnier in this movie than in Blazing Saddles. I thought she was good in Blazing Saddles, but like, I don't know when she, so at some point the monster kidnaps her and takes her away. And she had like the, the, the gray hair streaks in her hair. Um, but then at the closer to the end, when she comes in with that full on, uh, bride of Frankenstein hairdo, I don't know. That just killed me. <laughs> she does that hiss. Like, it's yeah, perfect. It's good. Yeah, she's definitely, uh, I, I, I don't know, like, you never really, she doesn't get the credit that she deserved for her roles in, in both the films, actually. Um, I know that she was nominated for an award, but I think that kind of got uh, forgotten over time. Well, she's a bit overshadowed because she has a smaller role and the other characters are so, like, they have more memorable scenes. I, yeah, so I that's what people would normally go to. Yeah. If anything, I, I'd say... If they probably could have cut down a few of Gene Wilder's scenes to make room for some of the other characters, but at the same time, he he really nails his scenes. So apparently, yeah, they did they did shoot a lot, and and a lot was uh, cut from the film. So there's like a Mm. super extended cut, but uh, there was stuff that didn't work. So. I don't know. There, there's something about Gene Wilder that I, I don't know why, but he's like one comedian that I can tolerate when he starts screaming. Mostly I hate when, when people start shouting in movies, but he he can play both levels so well when, when he's all manic and, and going off the hinges and when he brings it down and he's so calm and slow and pacing himself. Any other actor, I, I just I can't take it when they start screaming like that. I wait for it in in yeah. um, Frankenstein. I, I'm like, okay, is this the part where he's like he says, "My name is is uh, Frankenstein." <laughs> My name is Frankenstein. Because people say it like I couldn't remember exactly when he came in and uh, said it. I was waiting with with anticipation for that for that uh, to come out. Gene hey, Wilder is is freaking brilliant. Like you said, when he does the screaming stuff, but then when he can bring it down and he can deliver a line and he can take three minutes to deliver one sentence and he'll yeah. slow it down <laughs> so perfectly. I don't know if you've seen uh, Woody Allen's Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex Was Afraid to Ask. Mm-hmm. Richard? Nope. <laughs> He's probably never heard of it. Gene Burt Wilder Reynolds has, is in a, it. has a vignette in it and... Uh, Woody Allen just allows him to, well, the story is this, uh, he's a psychiatrist, this guy comes in who's, 
madly in love with uh, someone who's breaking up with him or whatever. And he asks if, uh, he asks if uh, Gene Wilder asks if this guy can bring in his lover or whatever so he can like couple counsel them. And the guy brings in a sheep and Woody <laughs> Allen just sets the camera on Gene Wilder's face on a close up and leaves it there for what seems like two minutes. No speaking, just Gene Wilder's reaction for two minutes. And I don't know anyone else who could pull that off, but it, it was brilliant to see all the emotions go through Gene Wilder's face in that two minutes check that out when you can yeah sure he was in a on an incredible role at that time he had these two movies and then uh, charlie and the chocolate factory which he was brilliant in as well well during this movie he gets the idea to do uh young frankenstein he gets the idea to do uh sherlock holmes's smarters smarter brother movie which came right after this and uh, he brought Marty Feldman with him for that, and Madeline Kahn as well, and uh, no Mel Brooks though. Right. So it's good, and he directed his first movie. He directs. It's good, but it it just misses. You can tell the special sauce that uh, Mel Brooks brings to things that is missing when he's not there. But that's another movie to check out too. Yeah, it's too bad, but they never did another film together again. This. This was it. Which is sad. I I, it, I I don't know if like another movie because that has fallen like that's gone gone. Like, I remember when they tried to do the Fish Called Wanda crew got back together and did a movie called Fierce Creatures and it just it wasn't the same. You know, trying to recapture that lightning in a bottle. Um, but it would have been fun to to at least have them try once so we could tell if uh, you know if they could. Uh, <laughs> capture it again but and it could have been an artistic thing sometimes people don't like to revisit old territory they just prefer to try something new yeah although gene well i was i would say gene wilder is like that but he did a ton of movies with richard Pryor. he went back to that well <laughs> enough times so well, i don't know that's true i don't know if it was mel brooks or or gene wilder that didn't, i don't know uh, young frankenstein that's a hard movie to top though okay mm. great movie uh love it now, let's move on to movie number three from 1987, Spaceballs. Here's the trailer. There it is, planet Druidian. And underneath the air shield, 10,000 years of fresh air. We must get through that air shield. We will, sir. Once we kidnap the princess, we can force her father, King Roland, to give us the combination to the air shield, thereby destroying planet Druidia and saving planet Spaceball. Everybody got that? Space Bones, the movie. Princess Vespa spaceship within range, sir. Good. What's going on? It's either the 4th of July or someone's trying to kill us. Now we will show her who is in charge of this galaxy. If you do not give me the combination to the air shield, Dr. Slotkin will give your daughter back her old nose. No! Only one man and his trusted companion can save planet Druidia from disaster. Okay, Eagle Five, coming in. Home Star. First, they must learn the secrets of yogurt. Yogurt? I am the keeper of a greater magic. The Force? No. 
the Schwartz. Avoid capture on a distant planet. Come up to comb the desert, you hear me? Comb the desert! Found anything yet? We ain't found... Battled the entire Spaceball army. escape the clutches of Dark Helmet. I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Abandon ship, proceed to escape pods. What the hell's the matter with this seat, fella? When does this happen in the movie? Give me balls. Space Balls. The movie. Under that thing. And may the be In a distant galaxy, planet Spaceball has depleted its air supply, leaving its citizens reliant on a product called Perrier. In desperation, Spaceball's leader, President Scrooge, played by Mel Brooks, orders the evil Dark Helmet, played by Rick Moranis, to kidnap Princess Vespa played by Daphne Zuinga of Oxygen-Rich Druidia. A lot of names going on yes, here. That, that's why, why I gave you this one. Me read this? <laughs> that's why I gave you this one. <laughs> and hold her hostage in exchange for air. But help arrives for the princess in the form of renegade space pirate Lone Star, played by Bill Pullman, and his half-man, half-dog partner Barf, played by John Candy. Keep going. Directed by yep. Mel Brooks, a runtime of one hour, 36 minutes. I don't see a feature song here written. I don't think there was one. Well, there was uh, Spaceballs. The song Spaceballs. It's just like some jazzy, yeah. jazzy number. I'd like to get the Spaceballs soundtrack. With the Spaceballs. It's That's on vinyl out there too. somewhere. I got to find that. I want it. Um... All right. Okay. Uh, Brooks, right, Brooks personally obtained George Locusts. <laughs> Where did you copy this from? George Locust. Lo- George Locust's That's... full permission to make the parody with, uh, with any and all things Star Wars related. It came with one condition, though, that absolutely no merchandise of any kind be produced for the film. This is the reason why all yogurt and the dinks do is merchandising. It's also why none of the merchandise seen in the film was ever mass-produced or publicly sold in any way. George Locus is a callback to the Quick Save Club. That's for all the fans of the Quick Save Club that listen to this. Check out the Quick Save Club, where we play a PC game of the month every month. This month we're playing Commander Keen, and you can, if you check out the podcast, you can hear great jokes like George Locus. A bulldog (laughs) face mask was originally made for the character of Barf, who was played by John Candy. Brooks didn't like it and and quipped that if they were going to hide John Candy behind a mask, he might as well hire someone else for half the price. The look that we saw in the film included animatronic ears that were connected to a hairpiece and a tail. It was controlled by three people. Candy worked the tail and two assistants controlled the ears. I think he just worked the tail by swinging his ass around. I don't don't remember animatronics. I I did these fun facts before I watched the movies again. And when I watched the movie this time, I watched closely for that tail. And 
I, there is the there actually is the one part where he's sitting down at the diner and the tail has a mind of its own. He might have had like a little. So it would have been hard for him to wiggle his ass in that seat. So a little bit of something. All right, uh, Bill, can you give us the final fun fact? Idea for Dark Helmet's voice to change whenever he wore the mask was improvised by Rick Moranis. There you go. All right. Spaceballs. Why is everyone so against Spaceballs now? Everyone hates the movie. What's up with you guys? I love it. It's What's great. Up with it? Yeah, now everyone wants to drop it. They don't want to talk about it anymore. They all hate it now. What's wrong with you people? This is a funny Spaceballs movie. Spaceballs is not a bad movie, but it has some really weak moments. Give me a weak it, moment. It could have been better. Bill Pullman and Daphne Zuwinga. They're fine. What was her name? They're fine. No, they're, they're not good. <laughs> they're not good. I was watching it um, last night, and I realized that Bill Pullman is just sitting in that chair for the first 30 minutes of the film. <laughs> well, that's that's I, what you're supposed to do. He gets up right, and he yells at... He could, uh... Right, but if your position is to just sit in that chair for, for the first like three or four scenes that you're in, maybe you want to be a little more interesting other than just sitting there and saying your lines. It's like He's everybody else man in the movie... For with everything else that's happening. Why is there a straight man in a Mel Brooks movie? There's not been a straight man in any one of these films. You need a straight man. Of course you do. Who was the straight man in Blazing Saddles? Uh, Cleavon uh, Little. Bart. And he did more than just sit in a chair. He, he was entertaining. Well, that's what the, he had a range of voice. That was what was in the script. Things to do. That was in the script. Who was the straight man in Young Frankenstein? Young Frankenstein would have been... Um, I... I guess gene wilder <laughs> yeah franklin Stein. you want to compare performances there no i don't want to compare Bill Pullman is not a great actor he's very flat he doesn't have a range uh, and for a comedy like this he just he is he's fine totally boring he's uh fine. the actress who played uh, uh princess vespa now she's fine and and just the script in general it needed a rewrite. Like everything with the space balls is really funny. Uh, I know Rick Moranis uh, rewrote a lot of his own dialogue. John Candy's having a lot of fun. He did a good job. Um, but th- those two, they're just so flat. The scene where they're sitting down in the sand, looking at the stars, it's so, so phoned in. Uh, it, it's just terrible. It's hard to watch. And just in general, the script, relies on funny names a lot and just like that that's the joke prince valium what a pill like, <laughs> but he yawned he couldn't get out a word he was always uh, busy yaw- he was yawning i don't know pizza i Hutt. finally ag- i finally agree with uh richard on all this i don't know what the guy's problem yeah. there are a lot yeah. of great characters the the pizza the is going to send out the wedding you. he was great come on it's like Mel just kind of... It sounds like a first script. Yeah, he didn't just... put a lot of effort in it. It was like, we just have to hit these notes, get these get these scenes in, you know, that reflect all these sci-fi movies. And, you know, that's it. Whereas the other two movies we discussed, like every line seems so well-crafted to deliver a punchline or a joke or or something. And this just seems dull through most of it. Hmm. No, you know what happened was that Star Wars became really popular. And then all the Star Wars fans out there started enjoying Spaceballs. And then now it became uncool to like Spaceballs. So now it's cool to 
rip on that movie, and that's what you guys are doing now. You guys are trying <laughs> so hard to be cool <laughs> no. right now. Uh, take take the story from before of how you watched those movies as a kid and you said a lot of it was over your head and then, you know, as an adult, you, you realize what's going on. It's the same with Spaceballs. Like, the funny parts are what I remember. I remember Ludicrous Speed. I remember the, the VHS tape and, like, that this is now and now. Those parts are brilliant. Jam. Those those are great. Those are great. It's Old the jam. other parts that are really bland that, as a kid... I, I wasn't paying attention to those as much. And now as an adult watching it, it's like, wow, this is just bad. These, these scenes just didn't work. So if all of the scenes were as funny as, uh, you know, some of the, the Spaceball stuff, then the movie would be great. Well, not every scene could be funny. You do need the parts of the movie to move the story along a little bit. Every scene in Blazing Saddles is funny. Yeah, the, Every you scene can... in Young Frankenstein is funny. Yeah, the when you get just uh, Bill Pullman and and Daphne whoever uh, together, it, the movie just stops, and it's like they're not entertaining, they're not charming, they're not interesting. They don't have uh, chemistry. Wait, they have zero chemistry. Uh, I'm just waiting for some of the other characters to come back. I like them. I think they got a lot of chemistry. They work well. <laughs> they work just fine. <laughs> You I, you are dedicated to your stance. You, you are. I like the movie. Fail. There's no stance. I just like the movie. I got no problem with it. The scene doesn't. I I agree. It's not a great scene. It's not fantastic. But it's not like as if it drags on. They say like maybe five lines of dialogue to each other, and then Joan Rivers' virgin alarm goes off, and it moves on. It doesn't I, drag. If it dragged, I I would agree with you. But it's just there to move the plot along plot along and then that's it uh you're skipping over all the funny parts that they do have together like uh when they are conflicting with each other and you know she's got the giant hair dryer in the uh in the bags and he's telling her to you know drop them and all that stuff i thought all that mm. stuff was fine moved along no. didn't drag at all yeah. john candy came in you know, livened up the yeah, scene. Yeah, John you know? Candy came in. That's when it. Well, that's what they're there for. Yeah, they're just, not just his they, one line at the end. But like, that's yeah, their job. That's now. their job in the movie. I don't know what you expect them to do. Like, what do you well, expect I them to do? Mel Brooks to you know focus on the comedy and say, hey, you know, this is a comedy. We should, you know, you need some part of the movie to tell the story. At some part and, of the movie, you have to tell the story. Uh, Mm. Room service, room service. That's that was hilarious. Because she, because she's a princess, right? Right. Yes. Water, water. Uh, she was, she was good man. with Joan Rivers, with the Joan Joan Rivers C three PO character. She's a robot. But yeah. Room service. I like Joan Rivers in the movie. I thought she was funny. Couldn't she have been a little bit edgy though? Probably like, not. There, there's no, there's no edge. There's nothing biting. There's, there's I don't know. It's it's very tame. The the spaceball stuff, they, there was edge there, you know. Yep. They they, they had what they were the bad guys. Also, those those scenes are great. Let's talk about them. They're the bad guys. Rick Moranis was was hilarious. I think this is probably the funniest movie he's done. I mean, well, come I, on, Little Shop of Horrors is great, but that you know has played a little more like a regular movie, but Ghostbusters? as far as just wacky comedy. Ghostbusters? Um, the, uh, I think his performance here is is a little bit more like, man. All right. That's great. 
this is this is you're witnessing the end of retro film dango as we talk we're, that's it it's done we're wrapping this up i like right. uh i like the uh the tie that rick moranis wears yep i was that's nice and he's got touch. tights on yes mm-hmm. that whole outfit is uh friggin' hilarious mm-hmm. um the the you know the whole thing with the helmet all that stuff it's good times the fact I think that it is good this time, you know, Mel just got maybe he got a little distracted by all the post production that he was going to have to put in, or the effects, or you know, he was worried about what the end product's going to look like. He didn't, he didn't go full on in the writers' room on this one. Michael, Michael Winslow this, did all the sound is effects. Probably, for I don't know if we have budget information, but this is probably the most expensive movie that he did, right? Because even after this, he he went back to doing like Robin Hood. That that probably wasn't. Uh, as expensive as making, you know, Spaceball One, right, and and having all the effects. Yeah, they had ILM, Mega Made, and all that. By the way, we were just talking about breaking up. Michael Winslow does break up in in the movie um, after he delivers. After he, uh, uh, he, you know, he's talking through the megaphone for through the uh, ship's uh, uh, intercom, and they walk up to the <laughs> up to his desk. And uh, they make him put down the intercom uh, uh, device, and he talks, and he's still talking like he's on the intercom. And then Rick Moranis just slams down on the desk and throws everything off of his desk. Right. <laughs> you could see Michael Winslow crack up at at that point. That that scene gets me every single time too. Just that how scene he, is great. yeah, it's hilarious because the whole movie is hilarious. It's great. Dick Van Patten, he's funny. It's good. Yeah. Hey, you're getting nothing from you guys. Getting nothing from you guys. All right. Well, you know, everyone's going to write in. on the spaceball ship is great. You know what's going to happen? The transporter scene goes on a little too long, but... Everyone's going to write in and say how much they love spaceballs and how crazy you two are. Yeah, and then they're going to say how much they like the other guys. (laughs) All right. I don't Thanks for choosing uh, spaceballs to be our number three. Well, it was. Which a... I, I still enjoy enough that I watch, and I'd say people should see it. Yeah, I just, I just feel like it's it's not as good as uh, people make it out to be because it has its weaknesses. That's it. But the weaknesses, I don't know. They're just they're not that big of a deal. I agree with you. Like it's not the best scene in the world, but it doesn't. Uh, I'm repeating well, myself here. Great. It this also has the best on. ending. It has the best ending out of these three movies. Um, uh, Young Frankenstein, the ending didn't feel too big for me. I, I like his speech at the end, but then the movie just kind of slowly ends. Uh, I don't know. I think Spaceballs has the big, yay, this movie's done. That was fun. Yeah, because they actually took the time to tell a little bit of story in this movie, which apparently you guys don't like. You don't like a little bit of story. All right. Are we ready? Let's just move on. Somebody's defensive. Uh, it's too warm in here. And I, I don't feel like arguing today. <laughs> I had a good time. I watched it like just, what was it, an hour and a half ago, and I had a good time. All right. It's the Star Wars thing. You just love Star Wars so much. And I Star Trek. Don't. That I do love so Star Trek. You're so happy to finally see someone parodying it that you're going to let everything see, go. See, this is what I'm saying. Fine. This is what that's I'm saying. Fine. This is what I'm saying. All the Star Wars fans love it. So now you guys have to hate it. Yes. <laughs> Why didn't anyone tell me my ass was so big? Come on, that was good. Yeah, that's that's on the that's the spaceball stuff. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, 
All right. High anxiety. Bill wants to talk about high anxiety for some reason. I don't know. I watched this movie not too long ago. It's a good Mel Brooks movie to put on uh, for a, a lazy Sunday. You got nothing to do on a Sunday. You just throw it on and that's it. Uh, Harvey Corman is great in it. Uh, Cloris Leachman is great in it. Uh, but the rest of the movie is just kind of okay. I'd recommend Spaceballs over high anxiety. I don't think so. Yeah. You're I, crazy. I, I just I did. I just well, did. I haven't seen it, so why don't you sell me on it, Bill? What, what I is mean, the movie about? If you like the Madeline Kahn and the Cloris Leachman and the Harvey Corman and the Mel Brooks and you want to see them together make magic, put on high anxiety because it's it, it is great. It's uh uh, he likes to uh, use he uses that film to satirize uh, Alf- Alfred Hitchcock movies, which is nice. And it had some awesome gags that uh, parody the Hitchcock films, like uh, the psycho uh, shower scene. You could see that coming a mile away, it, a it mile and a half away. It was done brilliantly. Mile Unlike and a half. like Spaceballs, where he goes, oh, you're doing the Vulcan neck pinch wrong. You do it. Lower. That was funny. Oh, okay. I liked it. The 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 parody of the shower scene was orchestrated in a brilliant way, and it does the whole thing. It, and it, it I don't want to ruin it for you. It doesn't do so anything. Watch it. it doesn't. And do then there was other sight gags where he's got the camera. Like there was one uh, uh, gag where he's got the camera underneath a coffee table as uh, Cloris Leachman yes. and Harvey Corman. Like I said, they were good. Plans. That was good. <laughs> They keep putting the the flatware and the serviceware over yeah. top where the camera's shooting. The camera has to keep looking around all the all the stuff on that's, there. While you're doing great. other things on your lazy Sunday afternoon, that's the part where you'd stop and you'd watch. And then you'd, when it's, it's done, you'd go on and do your other things while the movie continues on in the background. Mel Brooks is playing a straight man. He plays a straight man in this role. Yep. it's. I totally recommend High Anxiety. And if you want some silly, go watch uh, History of the World, too. History, zany history. Mm, that's that's not a strong, not a strong one. Not as good as spaceballs. You know, I'm I'm putting spaceballs at the end of all these movies. <laughs> I don't think. Fortunately, so. no. I don't know why. It, well, I know why. It just okay. History of the world. That definitely. We did agree nostalgic. to talk about this. Oh, history of the world. <laughs> that is nostalgic for me. It may not hold up as well, but I'll still watch it every time I see it on TV. For it sure. has the same ending as Blazing Saddles. It's the exact same ending. No. Yes, <laughs> yes, it does. Watch it again and think of uh, Blazing Saddles while you watch the ending. Okay, that's it. Let's wrap this up. Uh, those were our three movies. Uh, Bill, I guess we'll give you a plug. Go check out STC Pod. Over at uh, Twitter, uh, he's at STC Pod. He's also got a YouTube channel, STC Pod, where he does pickup videos by and himself start now. Continue. Start to continue. Start to continue. YouTube sure. And then there's uh, then there's your podcast where you uh, rip off all of our bits. That's mm. pretty good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Podcast of the year for 2017. Long time ago. That was and, a very long uh, time ago. 2019. 2019 so, you think you're gonna win again look for that folks i think polykill is just they're on they're on the chicago bulls run now they have so many people <laughs> outside of the club that that's true that votes for them it's just they're, they're still competing with that that's true so yeah we're done um okay go check out the forums if you want to talk about mel brooks 
uh, go over to www.cartridgeclub.org and over in the forums there will be a spot specifically for this episode where you can uh, share your thoughts on the Mel Brooks movies. Let us know what you think of Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles and let us know how much you love Spaceballs. Uh, go over to the Twitter at retro underscore fandango. That's where we're at. Maybe we'll check out that uh, handle some at some point. I get notifications on my phone when people interact with it, so at least I've gone that step. <laughs> Richard, when was the last time you checked at retro underscore fandango? I could not tell you. I remember you posted something from there. Did I? Yeah, and it caught me off guard. I'm like, oh, I didn't post that. Something about the episode being late, I think, while I was on vacation. Oh, so this is about a month and a half ago. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, coming up uh, this month, I guess, we're watching, uh, it's Action August, and we're watching Dirty Harry, Dread, not Judge Dread, not the Sloan one, just Dread, uh, from a few years ago, and Logan. And in September, it's 70s Bush. We're, taking, we're watching The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Assault on Precinct 13, which I hope is a good movie. I haven't watched it yet. And The Seven Ups. Then on October, I don't know what we're doing. We haven't talked about it yet. We'll probably talk about it after we're done uh, recording. Hopefully we'll have something. Maybe in the next fan day. John Candy movies. It's October. We have to do spooky, scary movies. So, I mean, John Candy did, what, Nothing But Trouble? That's a scary movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was in. It was scary because it was so bad. Mm. Uh, yeah. All right. Anything else to say about Mel Brooks before we leave? Before I stop Is he done? Quick? He's he's past making movies now. I don't he? think he's making anything else. I think the last thing he did was that the producers, uh, Broadway play. He was mm. doing those for a while. He, he brought. Oh, uh, he's ninety three. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he, he brought uh, Frankenstein to Broadway. Right. It was Young, young Frankenstein. It's a follow-up. He did do a season of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which was great. Right. Yeah. You should check that out. There's always talk of the Spaceballs sequel. Uh, the quest for more money? I don't think that'll happen. Mm-hmm. No. Well, there was also it was going to be Spaceballs 3, the search for Spaceballs 2. That would be good. <laughs> that I would watch. But like, for everyone, but everyone's dead. John Candy's dead. Joan Rivers is dead. Is Jim J. Bullock? Is he still alive? Dick Van Patten's gone. <laughs> Who's Prince? Oh, uh, I'd be afraid though that after he passes, there might be um, a studio urge to reboot, reboot some uh, of these old classics. Ah, uh, mm. no. Maybe get some of the young young blood in there. Get. Uh, I don't know who's an, who's an up and coming comedic actor that can replace Gene Wilder. Are they going to put Young in uh, Seth Rogen? Mm. Yeah, you know, Seth Rogen would actually probably be a good monster. That's about it. I don't know. I I really hope it doesn't come to that point because I, I think Spaceballs would be the number one for uh, their whole reboot or later sequel. Let's do it again. Mm. Yeah, I hope not. I hope none of these get ever get touched. They're just just leave them alone. I know Blazing Saddles will probably not get a reboot. Can you imagine trying to do that movie? And now, oh, that, that, in the now that time, was, uh, 
No, that was made at the only time it could have been made. Yeah. There was a television series, Blazing Saddles. No. Yeah, yeah, there was. And it was some kind of... uh, the studio did it just in order to keep licensing rights or some shit. Oh, so it's probably and trash. They made it for like three years and never aired a single episode. They were just making it to make it huh. <laughs> to fulfill a contract obligation. Why? Why? Uh, like, why would they need to hold on to that property? They're not doing anything with it. They never will do anything with it. That's bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check it out. Check it out in the, uh, I don't know where I read that, but it's out there. It's so a, somewhere in a vault media. is this show. Hmm. There, um, there is no pilot like... episode of Black Bart. Was. Oh, is that what it's called? Black Bart. Yeah, yeah that actually series might... titled Black Bart. That was the original title of the. Sh- that was supposed to be the original title of the movie. Was Black Bart? All right, we're off the yeah. rails. We're watching hmm. the credits to a pilot <laughs> <laughs> that nobody cares about. All right, so let's just sign off. Say goodbye. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Love it. Love you guys. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, we're done. That's it. Yeah. Show's done. Hello, handsome. You're a good looking fellow. Do you know that? People laugh at you, people hate you, but why do they hate you? Because they are jealous. Look at that boyish face. Look at that sweet smile. Do you want to talk about physical strength? Do you want to talk about sheer muscle? Do you want to talk about the Olympian ideal? You are a god. And listen to me. You are not evil. You are good. (laughs) This is a nice boy. This is a good boy. This is a mother's angel. And I want the world to know once and for all and without any shame that we love him (laughs) i'm going to teach you i'm going to show you how to walk how to speak how to move how to think together you and i are going to make the greatest single contribution to science since the creation of fire. Dr. Frankenstein, are you all right? My name is Frankenstein.